Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, our workplace communication has moved almost entirely online, but it's easy to be misinterpreted when you shoot off a text, Slack message, or email, and women are often judged on the friendliness factor. There was a more junior man who was on my team whose work I managed, and he had a few drinks and told people that I was a bitch over email. Still, some aspects of digital life may weaken old prejudices. Even the fact that we are all on smaller thumbnail screens in a video meeting, we are less cognizant of a lot of those visual body language biases. If there's four men and one woman, we're less likely to notice that. Digital body language, coming up on The Broad Experience. I'm what my first guest today calls a digital adapter, someone who started my adult life in the analog world with landlines and fax machines. I remember in my very first job, another assistant explaining to me how to change the paper in the fax machine. She told me it was a lot like changing the loo roll in the bathroom. Technology has moved on a lot since then, and digital communication is incredibly convenient but it can also be confusing, frustrating, and anxiety-provoking. Erica Dewan is the author of the book Digital Body Language. She began noticing people's actual body language when she was a little girl. She grew up outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, caught between two cultures. As a very shy and introverted girl, my parents were Indian immigrants, and at home we spoke Punjabi and Hindi which meant when I got to American schools, I had accented English. I really struggled to find my voice. In every report card from kindergarten through 12th grade, I often got straight A's as the good Indian student, but every teacher had the same feedback. I wish Erica spoke up more in class. She may not have been speaking, but she was listening and observing American culture as it played out in the hallways of her school. It fascinated her the way the popular girls walked with their heads held high and their shoulders back, the way other kids slouched and looked away from the teachers during school assemblies to show their disinterest. She became an expert on nonverbal cues and began mimicking some of this behaviour herself to fit in. Twenty years ago, while Erica was still in high school, something happened that cemented her interest in body language and what it can do. After 9-11 in the United States, uh, you know, anyone that looked of South Asian descent was often seen with suspicion. It was a very sensitive time in the United States and, and around the world. One day, Erica was at tennis practice at the local YMCA and her dad came to pick her up. 
someone at the front desk um, saw my father, a tall Indian man with a mustache, a a cardiologist at a local hospital, and deemed him suspicious and called the cops on him. And I'll never forget, you know, walking out of that practice, seeing my father being interrogated by the police. I watched him with his palms open, uh, his head down, uh, respecting and and showing deference to the officer, uh, his soft, empathetic voice signaling that he was simply a, a community member and worked as a doctor at a nearby hospital. And I saw so critically how my father used the power of body language to bridge connection and trust in a time where there was a lot of distrust. I remember driving home that day with my father and sharing with him how in many ways I was so upset at the level of racial profiling and ignorance that I saw. But he said to me something that I'll never forget. He said, wouldn't it be helpful to step in the shoes of how others are feeling right now? And it taught me so much about how empathy is really bridged through our body language. And it's one of the most powerful sources of connection. But that's traditional body language, expressions, hand gestures, posture. It wasn't until more recent years that her work with corporations got her thinking about what she calls digital body language, the signals we send in our digital messages. Lots of clients were complaining to her about the same thing miscommunication in the workplace, something I think about often. I want to talk about written communication first, because that, I mean, that can be really quite fraught, can't it? And I mean, why why is that? Like, why do so many of us get tripped up by email and other types of messaging? What's going on? Well, 60 to 80% of face-to-face communication is our nonverbal body language, the pacing, the pauses, the gestures, the tone, the lean in in a sales conversation, or that direct eye contact or smile signaling a level of trust and empathy. But when we move to written forms of communication, email, text messages, different chat groups, much of that body language actually hasn't disappeared. It's just transformed. We now send digital body language signals and cues in our written communication, whether we know it or not. And in many ways, what I learned through my research is many of us are doing it blindly, accidentally, or just plain wrong. She says there are two sides to this, the sender and the recipient. The sender might dash off an email and not think much about their phrasing or use of punctuation. But she says those things are the equivalent to our tone of voice in person or an expression on our face. An email the sender sees is to the point, full of short sentences marked by full stops. That might provoke anxiety in the recipient. She says when we read online, it is not the same as reading from a piece of paper. Our brains process the information differently, and that can lead to misunderstandings. We're much more likely to rush through it, to comprehend less, to uh, maybe ruminate around one specific line or one phrase, send me this now, could feel passive aggressive or call me today, could feel alarming when it's just a, you know, call me today with it. You can hear in the inflection of my voice to be actually delightful or someone excited to connect. This, the, the key that when it comes to written communication is to understand that we must take the time to truly read those messages much more carefully and to be thoughtful, to not rush off messages back that may not actually answer those questions. That can be a big problem with email. Recently, I got into one of those email strings trying to understand a particular point. 
I thought my initial question was clear, but I got a half answer in response. So I sent another email trying to clarify and on the string went. There are cases, we've all seen that as back and forth reply all emails, when we really should just pick up the phone and have a more nuanced, complex discussion. I like to say picking up the phone is worth a thousand emails. So I'm glad you brought up the phone because what I did in that case was I thought this is ridiculous. This is going to get even more complicated if I continue to go back and forth. So I did, in fact, literally pick up the phone and call my colleague. What's that? Do we even remember the phone? Exactly. Who, who's got to be at least 10 years younger than me. I come from a time when you actually used to just pick up the phone and call people and it wasn't scary for that person to answer. Now she didn't answer. And then I thought, oh, I've committed a terrible faux pas. I haven't messaged her to say, hey, could we talk? <laughs> actually, so I didn't leave a message because I knew that would not work. But she saw the missed call and she actually did call me back very quickly. And we were able to very easily get to the bottom of our questions. But for many, many people, the phone, it's not the same as people like me who are digital adapters who came from an era when you had to use the phone. One thing that's more important than ever is to reflect ourselves on what is our own natural digital style and how do we best connect with others? For example, if you're a salesperson, uh, I know one salesperson who got some advice from a more seasoned uh, salesperson who was very much a digital adapter that said, if you want to sell to people, you need to pester them on the phones. And this salesperson was actually selling to a lot of younger digital natives. She made a bunch of phone calls and it fell flat. No one picked up the phone. Then she trusted her own instincts because she's more of a digital native as well. And she wrote sort of a funny crafted email saying, you know, I left you a voicemail, but who listens to voicemail anymore? I'd love to talk to you about my news service. Here's a Calendly availability link on when I can speak. And she found that that model, one that had the least human interaction, got her 10 times a 10x and actually sales calls, then pestering people with phone calls out of the blue. And and so actually understanding these differences is not only a key skill in learning about ourselves, but can make or break relationships now across a variety of team dynamics in a digital world. Which totally makes sense, right? It's about finding out what the other person or people are most receptive to, because when they're receptive, you'll have a better chance of getting your message across. But sometimes communication goes awry despite our best efforts. Earlier in her career, Erica was introduced to the CFO of a Fortune 50 company and she had breakfast with her. And this woman offered to introduce Erica to someone who might be a potential client, someone Erica was really interested in meeting. Erica thanked her and they parted. But 10 days later, she hadn't heard anything. And so I said to myself, what should I do here? I should follow up. I should be proactive. And, you know, this leader must be very busy. So I should maybe couch my email with an acknowledgement that she's probably really busy and how thankful I am for this introduction she proposed. I send an email follow-up 10 days later saying, you know, hi, X, um, I, I know you're really busy. You know, just wanted to check up on the introduction to John. Thank you so much for your help. Within about three minutes, I get a response back from her saying, uh, you know, I would recommend that you not start an email to someone saying, I know you are really busy. And that was really the end of the conversation. Ouch. And yet I'm not sure I would have done anything different if I'd been in Erica's shoes. She was trying not to be pushy, to acknowledge that this CFO had a lot on her plate, but the whole interaction fell apart. 
And in many ways, we've all been in those situations where sometimes the email fizzles or falls flat and doesn't show our good intentions. The first key thing is in all of our relationships, both in person and also in digital messages, we are answering two other questions that guide the signals we send. The first is, who has more or less power here? And the second is, how much do we trust each other? Now, Let's be honest, in this specific situation, there was a high power and trust gap. So a lot of the cues I was sending in my email were left to more misinterpretation than in maybe a case where I knew someone very well. The second thing is, is maybe this CFO might have been having a bad day. Maybe she had been struggling to catch up on her email. She didn't assume the good intent that I actually had in the email. Um, But thirdly, I also realized that I used that, I know you're really busy, just to cover my own insecurity in following up. And so I also could have just been more direct and to the point and not couch or assume something of her as well. In a minute, we know women are expected to smile a lot. And the exclamation mark often serves as the digital equivalent of a smile. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Liz Zelnick is Deputy Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs for the Massachusetts State Treasurer. She's 34 now, but several years ago, in her late 20s, she was working for a nonprofit in New York City. She says it was a bit like a startup in feel lots of young people, lots of making things up as you go along. She oversaw a team of people. It was her job to ensure a smooth workflow. And until then, Liz had always been pretty brisk and businesslike in her communication. I came from the camp of being very direct over email, both email and text message for work, rarely using exclamation points or smiley faces to get my point across. I just saw them as superfluous. One day, she sent out some reminders to her team, the way she often did. I sent some emails about following up on a deadline to send you know to send the their portion of the work to be approved by a certain time signed off and didn't think twice about it the whole office had happy hour most fridays that particular week liz didn't go but afterwards a few of her friends got in touch someone had been gossiping about her there was a more junior man who was on my team whose work i managed and he had a few drinks and told people that I was a bitch over email. All because of that email where she'd asked people to get their work in by the deadline. Something she'd done in what she thought was a polite, straightforward way. It was interesting because I I had never been categorized as someone who was, you know, quote unquote, that word in the workplace or even unfriendly, right? I was, I had always 
had positive feedback about how I communicated and how I worked with my colleagues. So it was a little bit shocking and it sort of took me aback. And I, you know, I even went back through the email and I went to see, you know, was I a more direct than I should have been or was I unkind in the way that I was communicating? And ultimately it came down to, I really think that it was because I just didn't use exclamation points to seem friendlier or because maybe the lack of exclamation points coming from a woman was seen as mean or cold or unfriendly. Which brings me to what you you told me offline, which is that this idea of in your friend group, in your girlfriend group, exclamation points are expected as part of communicating, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then the joke in my friend group is, don't worry, Liz doesn't hate you. She just doesn't like exclamation points. And we have a group thread and, you know, I was known for not using them because, you know, you use them when they're meant to be used. Otherwise, what's the impact, right? How am I, how am I supposed to show something is exciting? Um, and I think more women use them in the workplace now, I think, to come across as less dominant or aggressive in the way that we communicate. Hearing this made me begin to second guess my own direct email style, almost entirely devoid of exclamation points, especially how it may come across to colleagues on a new project, people I don't know very well. I can't help wondering whether a recent communication hole was caused because the senior guy I was dealing with perhaps had the same feelings about me that Liz's former co-worker did about her. So I asked Liz, did that incident of several years ago change the way she did things? Did she start deploying exclamation marks? I did. Yeah, I started using exclamation points more, (laughs) which, you know, is I still think about how many I use in a professional email. I don't want to use too many because I don't want to seem unprofessional but I don't want to use too few because I don't want to come across as cold. Um, I I don't really ever hear men talking about this or examining this in my experience. Maybe they do, but it's, it's interesting. I really have started to use them more and I haven't had a complaint since. Erica says there's much room for improvement when it comes to how we judge people for their digital style. She says someone like Liz or I should be able to be as direct as we like without being thought of as cold. But double standards do exist. In fact, one study showed by linguists that if a younger female used multiple emojis in the workplace, comparing to a man at any rank level in that same workplace, the woman was more likely to be seen as incompetent and the man was more likely to be seen as casual or friendly. And to reveal some of my own gender biases here, I'm not used to seeing emojis in business email, actually. I, I very rarely have I seen them. But just recently, a guy I work with used a smiley face emoji in one of his emails. And and his job is sort of to bring people together. And I registered that emoji in my brain as a sort of friendly, like it was a way of keeping things light and cooperative and positive in this email string with multiple people. And honestly, if a woman had sent that same email with that same smiley face, I think I might have been annoyed and thought, Why is she doing that? 
Erica says there's a fine line between using too many emojis and exclamation points and not enough. Obviously, if you work in a young office where everyone uses them, then that's just the style and that's great. But if you're working in a more intergenerational setting, she says it's a question of adapting your style to suit the other people. She says this is especially valuable during COVID times. I'd actually argue, especially in the last 18 months uh, for leaders and executives, these tools can actually be used to build that emotional intimacy with those that are digital natives in a way that the face-to-face gatherings used to do, but digital connection must uh, replace in our new settings. Talking of new settings, I've read a few accounts during COVID of women who say they much prefer digital meetings to in-person ones because they feel less intimidated in the virtual setting. Erica says there's no data to back this up, but this tends to be true of introverts, no matter their gender. They feel more able to speak up or even to get their point across in the chat rather than orally. Even the fact that we are all on smaller thumbnail screens in a video meeting, we are less cognizant a lot of, of a lot of those visual body language biases. If there's four men and one woman, we're less likely to notice that in, in these smaller screens. If there's, you know, three tall men and one shorter woman of color, again, it's it's just an example where we're, we're not as v- visually detecting a lot of our differences instantly. I, I'd even argue that as someone who is sort of on the edge of being an elder millennial slash Gen Xer, uh, I have been seen more ageless in on a video screen than I often show up face to face where I'm dealing with uh, much older senior executives. The first time I come into a room, um, I may look, you know, like their daughter. And now in a digital setting, I think a lot of those sort of traditional ageism biases can also be not erased, but reduced. I told Erica about a question one of you had about how to make virtual meetings engaging, how to be a good host, especially when people are so screen weary. She says apart from the obvious, having an agenda, calling on people to speak, trying to end early. Remember, these meetings are like a bit of theatre, especially if you're the one who's on. If you are, rather than looking at your fellow attendees on the screen actually look into the camera. Try to look into the camera at least 40 to 60% of the time. Make sure you're far away enough from the camera where individuals can see your facial expressions, but also some of your hand gestures. If you haven't invested in a simple webcam and ring light, again, less than $50, do it now. It actually makes a, a really big difference. I have that light on order, finally. Before Erica and I ended our conversation, I wanted to go back to digital messaging, the source of so much workplace angst. She says it's worth bearing a few things in mind when a message goes unanswered for days or an email seems passive aggressive or just aggressive. Assume the best intent and don't get emotionally hijacked if you feel like you are reading into something that someone said. If you see a consistent pattern then check in to make sure your interpretations are correct. And no one to just pick up the phone to have that dialogue versus resorting to another written message. Erica Dewan is the author of Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. Thanks to her and to Liz Zelnick for being my guests on this show. I always enjoy hearing from you digitally. If you have your own stories to tell about digital body language, leave a comment under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. 
Join the discussion on the Facebook page or on Twitter. And of course, you can always email me via the website as well. This podcast is a one-woman production. If you can support the show with a donation, even if it's small, that's fine. Please hit the support tab at thebroadexperience.com. All support is gratefully received. This show is almost 10 years old, and I could not have done it without you. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.